Hello, this is Andrew Harris. You're listening to Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. This is episode two. In this episode, I'll be interviewing my co-host of the podcast, Andrew Decker, just to let you learn a little bit more about him, uh, what drives him, why he does what he does. Without further ado, let's just get right into it. Thank you for joining us on Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. This is episode two. And on today's episode, I, Andrew Harris, will be interviewing Andrew Decker, my co-host of the podcast, um, just about just to get a little bit um, more information on him, learn a little bit more about him. Uh, last episode, I was interviewed by Andrew, and now the tables are turned, and I get to interview Andrew. So what's up, Andrew? Uh, well, I'm preparing myself for the questions you might ask, and as you said earlier, you were nervous uh, in your podcast where you were the interviewee, and I was relaxed and had no nerves about it at all, and suddenly I feel myself being tense, so I understand your nerves yeah. from earlier. It's different, right? When, uh, like, oh, man, the questions are, what is he going to ask? What's going to happen? Um, well, you know, you started off with a softball with me. Let's just kind of ease into it. Tell us, uh, tell us about yourself, where you're from. Okay, so where I'm from is difficult. I moved around. My dad was a United Methodist minister, and then when I was in high school, my mom went in the ministry as well. So I've lived in a lot of little towns across the state. Um, so I kind of feel like West Texas is home, even though I graduated from high school in Arlington, Texas, um, and then went down to Georgetown for college, uh, Georgetown, Texas, Southwestern University, and then went to Dallas for uh, seminary. I went to SMU and got a degree in uh, divinity. And uh, so I've kind of lived all over the state, but if you ask me kind of where's home, I would say the Fort Worth uh, and surrounding areas because this is where I've lived most of my life. Uh, so I've, I very much have connections and roots in the Fort Worth and greater Fort Worth area. So when, uh, what year did you graduate from Divinity School? Uh, let's see, I graduated from SMU's Perkins School of Theology in 1999, um, so, yeah, so a long time ago. So on the last episode, I made a mistake because I was so nervous. I said I graduated from A&M in 2000. That's actually when I graduated from high school. I graduated from A&M December of 2004. And I'm literally aging as you say these <laughs> words. Well, I was just sitting there, and uh, it just kind of you know highlights how nervous uh, I was uh, being the interviewee. Um, that I, and when we were listening to it back later, I'm like, I didn't graduate in 2000. That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, okay. So after you graduated, what, what happened? Where did life take you? So I spent 15 years as a United Methodist minister. Um, uh, even while I was in seminary, I served as a uh, pastor of a couple of small churches. Um, and like I said, did that as a senior pastor for a total of 15 years. And then, um, Decided for my own health and the health of my marriage to take some time off. I took what's called a family leave of absence. And after a year, realized I needed to do something else. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started asking some friends. I did the book, uh, What Color Is Your Parachute? It's kind of one of those cheesy, you know, how do you find out what you want to do with the rest of your life? Um, and didn't do the whole thing. 
but did enough that I started kind of looking around and I called some friends who were attorneys and, and a friend of mine who's a judge who I went to high school with and said, hey, what do you yeah. think about me going to law school? And all of them were like, we think that would be awesome. Yeah. And so I went to law school um, having talked to a couple of real estate attorneys and a civil court judge, um, not knowing what I want to do in law school, and I was approaching 40 years old at the time. Kind of scary. Yeah, yeah. So I literally had a young lady sitting next to me in class who finished high school early, did tech in three years, and then was in law school, and she couldn't buy alcohol yet. (laughs) And... You know, at least yeah. technically, she could have been my daughter. It was it was a little, little disconcerting. Right. Yeah. It, you know, when I was in law school, though, like some of the other students who had maybe this was their second career or they had a a full career, a full life, and this is kind of a weird transition for them. Not a weird transition, but a a different life stage for them. I really appreciated their perspective um, in law school and their sharing, or maybe they're interpreting uh, case law a little bit differently than I would have because I just don't have that worldview. So I'm sure um, that that experience has definitely served you well. Um, so, okay, so you went to law school. Uh, where was that? Uh, I went to, I started at Texas Wesleyan University School of Law, and while I was there, uh, Texas A&M University entered into an agreement to purchase the law school. So I started, I matriculated at uh, Texas Wesleyan University School of Law, and in the same building, three years years later, graduated from uh, the Texas A&M University School of Law. Um, And because, and just to let you know that it really is an Aggie School of Law, it's still in the middle of Fort Worth, right by the water gardens. But if you hit the Wi-Fi in that building, it gives you the weather for Bryan College Station. Um, and so technically, that's, awesome. that's part of the Bryan College Station campus. It's why I, ha- I wear a what I call my law school ring. I don't call it my Aggie ring. Um, yeah, uh, you're but, an Aggie, though. But, but, it, but, it, but it looks just like your Aggie yeah, ring. That's right. Um, but one of the differences is I didn't go to the chicken to dunk my ring in beer, uh, there were a group of us that decided, hey, we're going to be attorneys. So we went over to the bar across the street and uh, prearranged that there would be a 20-year-old bottle of of scotch. Oh, you didn't drink the whole bottle, right? And, and we each dipped our ring in uh, a shot of, of really good whiskey. And, yeah. and so, so we were a little, little more highbrow than, yeah, yeah. than, the, than, the, than the guys at the chicken. Much more highbrow than my experience, yes. And none uh, of us threw up in the process. <laughs> I can't say that about some of my cousins who did undergrad at, at, at the uh, A&M. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, <clears throat> okay, so now you've graduated. You've got a law degree. How long have you been practicing? So I've been practicing at this point. I literally graduated from law school five years ago. It popped up on the Facebook uh, recently. Um, so I've been practicing four and a half years because you graduate. For those of you who don't know, you graduate from law school. You then sit for the bar uh, about two or three months later, and then it takes about three months to get your results back. So you graduate in May, and you don't get barred. You don't get officially licensed until usually November, yeah. and that's assuming that you do it like clockwork. Right. Um, and thankfully, somehow I managed to do it like clockwork. Um, and so I was barred in November of 2014. And you immediately opened your own firm? No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> um, I assumed because I had interned in the Tarrant County Courts and in the Tarrant County DA's office, um, all doing criminal work and criminal responses uh, and criminal law questions. 
and then actually did the prosecution clinic for the DA's office while I was in law school that I was fast-tracked to be in the DA's office. Yeah. Um, and I get my bar results back, and, you know, there's a little bit of a gap just because you never know when they're hiring. Um, and had the opportunity to apply for a clerk position in uh, the office of Tim Evans and Mark Daniel. I saw it and recognized their names, um, and I recognized Mark Daniel's name because I had, in a motion setting, represented the state, and in my first time actually in an adversarial hearing in court, I represented the state of Texas in a suppression hearing, and the opposing counsels, which is unusual to have two, were Mark Daniel, one of the premier defense attorneys in the state of Texas, and the former Parker County District Attorney, uh, Max Smith. Oh, Lord. So literally, I have two of the premier attorneys in the area, and the judge is a hunting buddy with Max Smith, Yeah. and then there's me, and I'm, well, I'll just say it this way, the way that Mark Daniel explained to me, I came in second place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and he and I are friends now, and we still argue about whether that guy crossed the line driving or not. So. Yeah. So explain that, though, because that was before you were officially licensed. Uh, right. So I was working as, uh, as an intern mm-hmm. and had a temporary bar card. Okay. Uh, and my supervisor was one of the attorneys there in the DA's office. And he actually sat next to me watching what I was doing, make sure I didn't screw something up. Right. Um, uh, but it was, it was while I was a student, technically. But it gave me an opportunity to literally stand toe-to-toe with, uh, with against one of the best attorneys in the state of Texas. Right. Um, a couple That's of them, actually. yeah. And I figured if I can stand up against them, um, I can probably handle most of the uh, other criminal t- defense or prosecuting attorneys that I could face. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's that's an experience that you just um, you covet, um, you know, as a as an intern, even as a as a prosecutor. And, and I still lost. And yeah, and, and I still, uh, well, brag about it because it's one of those crazy kind of deals of really your first time in court was against those two guys. Yeah, it was. Yeah, well, and, you know, it's good experience because as a criminal defense attorney, you know, we come in second quite a bit. Right, but I was the prosecutor, and I still came in second. Yeah. So so my record didn't start strong. It's a, yeah. But, but that was, I was a student. I don't count that time. No. We, don't, we don't count that on my record. Um, we, just, we just move on. Yeah, So that, and that's why I think whenever we're talking about some of these cases that we've, um, that we've experienced or these uh, um, cases that we've tried, it's not really important the end result. The, the, the important thing is the experience that we've gained along the way, what we learned, um, and how hard we fought for our respective side. Right, yeah, because sometimes it doesn't matter how hard we fight or what, how hard we work or how many stones we turn over or how many cases we read. The facts are the facts. Yeah. I can't change um, if someone was speeding uh, on I-30 or I-20 or I-35, all highways that are common to this area, and they change lanes without using their sig- using a signal, and an officer pulls them over for speeding and changing lane without a signal, which could be any of us on any given day. I've gotten right. a speeding ticket in the last two or three years. Yeah, um, It happens. Um, and then they go, hey, uh, I think I smell some alcohol on your breath. I can't change the facts that they were speeding and they had been drinking and – they look terrible on the field sobriety test, and their blood alcohol was a .13. I can't, I can't change those facts. 
Now I can try to look for a crack in how they, how the facts got in, or what were there, was there questions of law in how it was done, or uh, is there something that would make it interesting to a jury? But but the facts are the, facts, the facts generally. Yeah. And so uh, sometimes you learn something about how to do it better, but uh, but sometimes you can't change the outcome no matter how right. smart you are. Yeah. So um, why, when you were going through law school, why did you have this big interest in criminal defense? Well, that's a great question. I went to law school really not knowing what kind of law I wanted to practice. Yeah. Um, and got through my first semester and realized that that basically everyone was now figuring out how they were going to do an internship. And several of them had already figured it out. And I was like, whoa, what? Um, uh, I, uh, you know, kind of yeah. the... I felt very awkward in the sense that I felt like I was behind the curve. I realize now I was not. Yep, exactly. Um, but you know, when you're when you're dealing with a lot of Taipei personalities, you don't have to be very far behind the first one to think that you're far behind everybody. That's right. Um, but I ended up uh, applying for an internship. Well, with uh, the judicial staff counsel for the district criminal courts of Tarrant County. Um, because I knew one of the bailiffs through my son. And he said, hey, you need to apply for, a, for this gig with, with my judge. And I applied for, it, for this and sat with uh, now magistrate and Judge Charles Reynolds and Judge Molly Westfall for an interview to uh, answer uh, 1107 habeas writs. And um, because, well, I had a connection. And I remember Judge Westfall sitting there and looking at me going, so, um, uh, Mr. Decker, uh, you're, you're a former United Methodist pastor, and you want to do criminal law. Yeah. And, uh, and we were talking, and I said, well, Judge, I don't know who else is applying for this position. I said, but not many of them have uh, been on the scene of a suicide prior to it being cleaned up yeah. related to a drug overdose. Uh, probably most of them haven't sat with a family who uh, was dealing with the fact that their eight-year-old daughter was molested by her cousin. Yeah. Uh, most of them haven't had a pen pal, a former parishioner, uh, who was in the state pen. Um, they haven't uh, been inside the Tarrant County Jail in lockup doing a visitation uh, that's even a little more intimate than what attorneys get because I was there as a clergy person. Right. Um, and about that point, she stopped, and she goes, okay. She goes, you, you know more about this gig than probably anybody else coming in. Um, yeah. uh, and then we talked, and later on in the summer, she told me a couple of times, she goes, you think like a criminal defense attorney. And I was a little worried when she said that, and then I found out her husband's a criminal defense attorney, so I felt a little better about yeah. that. Um, so, so it kind of just went from there. And, and then I, I also interned with the DA's office in Tarrant County. I went back. Uh, to work with the Judicial Staff Council as a fellow. I actually got a fellowship to do that a second summer. Um, so I know a lot about how 1107 habeas work, which is you have to be far off in the weeds to have a clue even what they are. Yeah, I was going to ask you to, to just kind of elaborate just briefly, <laughs> like, uh, you know, the, the, the layman who may not know what exactly we're talking about. Just right. so high-level overview of that. High-level overview. So after all your appeals are done, uh, basically, there's what uh, what Charles Reynolds described to me as the great writ. Um, you always have the one last chance that somehow there was a constitutional issue or your 
attorney was so ineffective, uh, or there's some claim of actual innocence, uh, that you should be heard regardless of if it was on the record or if the appeal was properly written. Um, unfortunately, by the time you get there, you're, you're, you're talking about less than 100 really even get a hearing, and of those, one in five or so will actually have any form of relief if there's any available. Um, uh, but it was an amazing experience. I got to know a lot of the judges, uh, got to sit in their offices. Um, the now retired Judge Stearns was probably, this is probably one of my craziest and one of my, my favorite stories to tell. Um, uh, I spent a summer working on an 1107 capital murder writ. Okay. Um, and was handed this my first day, uh, just kind of timing was perfect. Spent uh, a good portion of the summer reading it, writing a response. And because it was capital murder, they actually had appointed attorneys, one out of California, one out of Austin, writing for the defendant. And then the state had their best uh, Tarrant County uh, appeals. So it was about 125 pages of, of well-written briefs for this uh, 1107. And Judge Stearns was about to leave on vacation for his birthday. So he's in his, in his uh, uh, jury room, and he was a tall, tall man. Yeah. Or he is. He, he, he's, not, he's not past tense. And he's sitting there, and he's just kind of stretched out in this chair. And he, so he looks even taller because the chair is kind of small. And he, he, I walk in, and he goes, Mr. Decker, I've been looking forward to hearing from you what you have to say about this writ. Uh, but first, it, it's my birthday, and my staff made me some banana pudding. And it's the best banana pudding you're ever going to taste. And um, uh, so, of course, Judge, I'll, I'll be more than glad. And, 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 of course, it was the best banana pudding I'd ever taste. No offense to my wife, um, uh, because I'm not going to argue with Judge Stearns. Um, and, and as we're eating banana pudding, he asks, so what did you find? And I, and I looked at him, and I said, Judge, um, uh, I've spent a summer trying to find anything to save this young man's life. And he says, and? And I said, Judge, legally, I can find no merit. Um, and both of us kind of sat there just real quiet for a minute. And he said, I hate to hear that. Uh, but I also understand that's the way the law works. Right. Um, it was one of the most humbling experiences and also one of the most surreal to be eating banana pudding and be talking about literally uh, a man's life. Yeah. Um, and so it puts our jobs in perspective a little bit. Absolutely. Um, that, that while sometimes we're, we're arguing about, uh, with someone speeding, in a right. school zone, other times we're, we're truly, uh, well, I, don't, I have not had the chance to work on a capital murder case, but I've written on several of them, um, done some research on several of them, uh, that sometimes a true, truly a life sits on our hands. And, yeah. and that's, that's a um, very humble place to be. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay, so that's a, that was a great story. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, that, that 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 went a little uh, darker and a little. Um, yeah, but I but I but I want I want more stories from you. So what's like the craziest story? You asked me what my craziest story was of a case, one of my cases, and I, I gave one from when I was a prosecutor, just kind of a stereotypical DWI. Um, I'm curious to hear you've uh, you've never, as a licensed attorney, practiced as a prosecutor. You've been, you've had your own firm. You've been a, a defense attorney. Uh, what's your, what's the craziest case? Craziest well, uh, well, I did prosecute some municipal cases okay. as a clerk, um, uh, but but you know those are speeding tickets, yeah, you yeah. know, uh, drug paraphernalia, nothing that someone could go to jail for. Right, right, right. Um, and that was basically one day a week. So I can't say I've never prosecuted a case, but nothing, nothing of of great significance. I got you. Okay. Um, 
so as a defense attorney, you, you do end up with some crazy stories. Some of them uh, are crazy enough that you wouldn't want to repeat because it's just yeah. it's, it, people don't want to know. Right. But the but the case that people are asking me about right now, and, and I get asked about on a regular basis, is what uh, I'm working with a with a friend of ours. Both of us know Allison Bador, and it's out in Palo Pinto County. Uh, yes. um, and we just call it the chicken killing case. Yeah. Um, and it's set for <laughs> trial uh, in about a month. And a, a man shoots a chicken, uh, and then he shoots a guinea hen. Both of them in his yard, a couple of months apart. Um, and kills at least one, wounds the other, and I think think both of them die. Uh, an autopsy is performed on the guinea hen, and sure enough, the, the guinea hen dies from a high projectile. It's ridiculous uh, to me. It, 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 it's a crazy, <laughs> crazy case. I really shouldn't talk much more about it because it's still pending. Um, but any time you have to go to trial on a felony for a dead chicken, yeah, you know things have gone crazy. Yes. Um, and... And it's fun, and part of the reason I actually ask uh, Miss Bador, who I who I who I've tried a few cases with, um, uh, to sit on this case, just because I wanted to do the void dire, void yeah. dire, and opening and closing are uh, for defense attorneys the big three. Yeah, because That's the right. facts are coming out whether we want them to or not. I mean, we can object, we can try to keep things out, but in void dire and opening and closing. That's where we get to tell the story. We yeah. get, to, and it's where I think I shine. I've actually been brought in on a few cases last minute, just to do those things, and really did nothing else. And you kind of go, that's that's not the way it normally works. But I've kind of already in a relatively short career uh, earned a bit of a reputation as being able to do those things and do them well. Um, uh, well, and when we've tried cases, you've uh, I've asked you to handle you know, if it hadn't gone our way to, to handle punishment, because I think you just have a way of connecting with a jury on an emotional level. And do you think that comes from your experience as a minister? Uh, well, yes, I, I think it comes from uh, years of public speaking, right? So as a, as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, uh, you preach every day or every week, um, and you're trying to connect with an audience. Um, you end up having to talk to people in the community, you end up having to know people, you end up having to kind of gauge what makes them tick. Um, and then I also have kind of an interesting, uh, you know, I see myself as a country boy come to the city. Yeah. Um, even though I spent four years, my high school years in Arlington, uh, and then I've lived in Fort Worth and I went to, uh, seminary in Dallas. If you ask me, well, you know, I'm just a country boy come to the city. Yeah. Um, and I can play that when I want to. Um, my wife makes fun of me that when I head out to my uncle's ranch, I start talking about my dog. Um, uh, you know, and, and, yeah. and if you, and if you met, if you met my, my, my dog, you would go, yeah, but he's a country boy. It's a red bone coon hound. It's a hunting dog. Yeah. Um, uh, but the, having those variety of experiences, I can, I feel like I can connect with a jury and connect with people and put them at ease in a way that a lot of attorneys are worried about what's the what's the law, what's the rule, um, what what do we want to prove? And I know if I can make if I can make them connect with me and connect with my client as a person, um, there's a chance they might see it from from my person's perspective that I, I wasn't trying to do something wrong, right? Or yeah, I wouldn't want that to be enough to put me in jail. Right, um, yeah. 
you know, that's not enough. Really, the burden is because if, you, if they can kind of they can become empathetic or sympathetic to our client or, you know, to our side, they're much more likely to have that burden really be beyond a reasonable doubt, not, eh, yeah, we're pretty sure he did it. Right. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, all right. So if you, uh, you, you've been a minister, you're now a criminal defense attorney, and you've got these life experiences, um, there's kind of, uh, you've done many things in your life up to this point. But if you weren't, you know, you couldn't be a minister, weren't going to be a minister, weren't going to be an attorney, what would you do? What would you like to do? <laughs> so uh, the the thing that pe- people ask me occasionally, you know, like tell me five truths or four truths in a lie, and I play this game occasionally. And one of the truths I'll list, and this is going to ruin my game, is is that uh, I'm a trained opera singer. And uh-huh. everyone goes, th- th- that's one that they always think is a lie. Yeah. Well, I actually studied opera in college. Um, I love to sing. I love music. I play bass guitar. Um, if you listen to our intro and outro, I'm actually the bass player on that. Um, uh, I, I would, I would like to say I'd be a rock and roll musician. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not. <laughs> um, I'm way too too um, not cool to do that. Yeah. But but. Uh. But if you, if I truly could just do something for fun, and I went to college and was able to study music uh, because it was my hobby, it's what I love to do, um, knowing I was going to graduate school, uh, I would go and, and, and try to hack it as a classical opera singer or something like that. That's cool. Um, but that's, uh, I've set that aside. I now sing, you know, church choir and stuff like that. But, uh, but no, it's, it's, yeah, people That'd don't cool. ever believe it. They don't. They no, don't. yeah, yeah. When you first told me that, I was I was kind of like in disbelief. No, and no, I don't think so. I think you're messing with me. Right. Um, uh, but I've found out that it's true. Um, what is uh, what would you say some of the best advice you've ever received? So something I, I learned in in law school, and uh, I wish I would have heard it earlier. Um, and that's not disparaging my previous career. Uh, was a piece on work. And they said, if you like your work 80% of the time, if you go to work and four days a week you love what you do or you're happy with what you do or more, go to work and be happy. Yeah. D- don't, don't, don't question it. So you had a bad day, so you had a client, so you had, you know, even a, even a bad week, but you go back and look through your month and you go, you know, yeah, there was one bad week, but the rest of the month was awesome. Pretty good, yeah. Keep going to work. Enjoy it. They said, if it drops to 60%, and you look back and you haven't had a week off in six months, take a week off, take two weeks off, go on a vacation, and come back, and then decide if, if, if you're back up to 80%. Was it just you're, you're, you're kind of worn down? You know, you need an oil change kind of deal. Um, and then they said, if you, if you start liking your job less than 50% of the time, and you've already gone on a vacation, you've come back recently, it's time to go look for a new job. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, there are things I missed about, I miss even now, you know, now 10 years after leaving the ministry, I miss about the ministry. But I look back and, and I was at that 50% for a long time before I finally took the time to step out and, and do what was best for me. And now people ask me, how do you like being a criminal defense attorney? I'm like, I love my job. Yeah. I've had people go, Andrew, your face lights up when you talk about what you yeah, do. And they're like, it does. And I'm like, I just, I, I love my job. I love the people. I love who I work with. I love going to court. I love the crazy stories. I love trying to find the, the, the little piece that it is that I can take back to a prosecutor and go, this isn't going to cut it. Right. We're, you know, you don't want to go to trial with me on this. 
Yeah. Um, and and have prosecutors go, okay, yeah, I, I, th- I think you might have us there. And, and either lower their offer or make it where we can actually get a dismissal with just a little bit of work for my client. Right. Um, or, you know, in those rare cases, uh, truly uh, walk away with the win, with the not guilty, the two-word verdict. Yeah. Um, and, and know, yeah, yeah, this is, this is what I love to do. So does that piece of advice, um, does that change when you're talking with other future, um, attorneys? So I know, you know, you've, you've just told us, Hey, you got to love what you do. Um, the 50% rule as far as that goes. But when you're talking with people entering law school, does that piece of advice change? So it, so to people who want to be an attorney, I actually talked to somebody who wanted to be an attorney. They're headed to law school in the fall. I, at first, I told them, congratulations. Good for yeah, you. Yeah. You know, if that's what you want to do and you're excited about it, go. Um, uh, but the number one thing I tell people who want to go to law school or the piece of advice is don't go to law school or don't think you want to be an attorney. Or as my son, he wants to be a doctor um, and he's currently applying to medical school. That's right. I really am older than Mr. Harris. That's right. Um, <laughs> uh, although looking at his gray hair, others yeah, might think I've got, otherwise. I've got more gray hair, yeah. Um, uh, sorry, had to do it. Um, <laughs> I, I tell him, don't go into a profession because you think you're going to make a lot of money. Because yeah. there are a lot of attorneys and a lot of doctors who love what they do and do it well who don't make a lot of money. That's right. And there are a lot of sleazebag of doctors, sleazebag attorneys who rake money in and kind of give us all a bad name. Yeah. And you've got to be willing to do it whether you make a lot of money or you make a little money. And for me, uh, you know, as a defense attorney, I look at it as these are people, this is a real person whose life will be adversely affected. And, and as I tell people, if they call me for them or for their friend or for their loved one, someone's had a really bad day. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the person who broke the law, but often someone who's what we call an injured party's had a bad day too. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, don't forget that you're dealing with real people, whether you're in criminal defense or in tort litigation or in real estate law or whatever. There are people on the other side of those pieces of paper whose lives are being affected. Don't forget yeah. that. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, let's uh, let's begin to wrap it up. Um, what is your uh, favorite book or recent book that you've read that you really enjoy? So I'm going to go with my favorite book. My okay. favorite book of all time is Charles Dickens' A Christmas Story. I've probably read it like 12 or 13 times. Um, I read it first time when I was in elementary school, when I was in the uh, musical production of it. Yeah. And then I had to read it in junior high for class. And then it's I've, a classic. I, it's a classic. I've read it to an elementary school class over a course of a few days um, uh, when I was a minister, you know, kind of uh, as they were getting towards Christmas. Um, I've read it to my boys. I, I've read it. Great story. Yeah. Great story. And I've yeah. watched about 14 different movies of it. Of course, yeah. Um, and uh, it's got some great life lessons. Um, yeah. And, and strangely, Dickens uh, lived in the neighborhood with some of my older relatives. And in their notes, they talk about, we think so-and-so is so-and-so. You know, like, like they can see their friends and themselves in his books. Because oh, really? all of us draw our stories from people we really know. So right. Oh, that's interesting. Kind of a strange coincidence. What about a favorite band? Do you, you have a favorite band? Okay, my band would be easy. It's you two. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, Joshua Tree and Rattle and Hum are, are, well, again, I'm old. 
Um, <laughs> no, no, those they, are they, great they, albums, they man. Are, they are, they are the, the, the songs that even yeah. now you put on um, uh, Where the Streets Have No Name or I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. Yeah. Um, uh, and, it, well, church. And, and again, I'm a you know, former pastor and I still have a, a great relationship with the church. But church happens in, in me at that point. It's right. a re- almost a religious experience. Yeah, I would say, you know... Um, U2's Joshua Tree album is is one of my favorite albums for sure. That's that's great stuff. Um, okay, well, let's tell everybody how they can uh, contact you, learn more about you, where to find you. Um, <laughs> All right, so 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 I'm a complex person. I I have two offices. Um, <laughs> uh, Strange World. Um, one of them, and the one we're sitting in right now, is in Willow Park. Uh, and you can find me, uh, really, you can find me at andrewdeckerlaw.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and that primarily directs you to here. But you can also see there that I have a Fort Worth office. And there, that is in the office of, and this happened about a year and a half ago, and it's probably one of my greatest crowning achievements, uh, Evans, Daniel, Moore, Evans, Biggs, and Decker. Um, uh, you can find us online. We're in Sundance Square in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, uh, and just Google all those names because the uh, the acronym doesn't make sense because they've had it long enough that people that are no longer there are still included, and those who are there are not included. So it's uh, so just type in all those names: Evans, Daniel, Moore, Evans, Biggs, and Decker, or just Google Andrew Decker, and you'll probably find me. Both. Yeah, places. I was gonna I was gonna ask: Are you in a partnership with all those? Guys yeah, that, yeah, just... yeah. Anytime you list all those names, technically you have to go not a partnership, and yeah. and and people joke about that. So they'll see me and they'll go, so you're now not a partnership, right? And I'm like, yes, that's correct. (laughs) Um, but uh, again, a great, great group of guys. Uh, I am truly blessed to be a part of them, part of that office. And, um, uh, definitely some heavy hitter, heavy hitters in the uh, legal community around here. Yeah. Heavy hitters. Uh, and like I said, uh, it all really started because I faced off against Mark Daniel as an intern. It just goes to show you never never turn down an opportunity to to get in court, right? It, exactly. Yeah. You never know. You never know who it is that's going to go. Hey, I know you. Would you like a job? So that's right. That's great. Well, it's been great talking with you. Um, that's going to wrap up our second episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas criminal defense. Y'all stick with us. We'll have a couple other guests um, on future episodes talking about specific areas of Texas criminal law from the defense perspective. Again, thanks for joining us. My name's Andrew Harreth. This has been Andrew and Andrew. I'm with Andrew Decker, but this has been Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. So that was episode two. I'm still Andrew Decker, but I need to throw out an apology like Mr. Harreth did after his interview. I said that my favorite book was A Christmas Story. A Christmas Story is a movie, uh, Red Rider BB Gun. You're not getting one for Christmas because you'll shoot your eye out. That was released in 1983. I can honestly say I've never seen it all the way through. Um, A Christmas Carol, written by Charles Dickens, was released in December of 1843. That is my favorite book. Uh, My apologies to my friends, Abby Griffin and Marla Jones, both who are English literature people, and they would mock me forever if I didn't clean that up. Now, take a time to review us, like us on iTunes, review us on iTunes, subscribe to us. You can find us at texascrimdefense.com. You can find us on Facebook uh, at Texas Crim Defense. Um, Next time on episode three, we will be interviewing a Texas criminal defense legend, Jerry Goldstein. You will not want to miss it. We will see you then.